uh, living in harmony with each other? Well, we don't have to wonder because God has given us this beautiful little poem. Uh, the opening line is probably known to many of us, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. So we're going to look at this text this morning with one idea. We want to get God's perspective. What does God think about us living in unity, uh, in particular in a time of transition? You probably have heard the scripture text, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And so it's easy for us to envision a situation where uh, in a time of transition without a teaching elder here, uh, different kinds of emotions and thoughts begin to surface. They've always been there, but they've been kind of kept underneath. And, and then it can be kind of my way, your way. And very easy to understand how you can have some divisions to one degree or another kind of creep in in a time of transition. On the other hand, without a teaching elder here, what a wonderful opportunity you have to develop other dimensions of your life that perhaps you're not able to develop as well when there is a teaching elder here. Uh, I'm glad to have my wife here. I know some of you think I only talk about being married. <laughs> but I, I actually am married, and Adele will prove it. She was able to come down with me this morning. I remember a, a long time ago when we were in a church in California, uh, we didn't have a, a, a senior teaching elder for quite some time. You want to know one benefit? We were in the black for the first time. <laughs> it was an opportunity for us to consolidate expenses because we didn't have one of the largest dimensions next to the mortgage. Uh, we didn't have one of the largest dimensions of our budget, and that was the salary and benefits for a teaching elder. So there were some blessings to, to be had. Plus, we were right proximate to a seminary, and so a lot of the teaching elders from the seminary preached, and a good number of people said, let's forget the idea of a senior pastor. <laughs> we have all this preaching from the seminary professors, and we're, we're in the black financially. Who needs a senior pastor? Well, I'm not telling you that you don't. Obviously, I think it's God's will that somebody come in due time to play that particular role. But didn't we just sing behind every frowning providence, there's a smiling face? Well, you might think of uh, the loss of Mike as a, a frowning providence, but can you also look for some smiling faces? And one thing that you can look for are ways in the absence of a teaching elder, although you do have elders and deacons still, yes or yes, uh, look for ways to build deeper levels of community with each other. Because when that, uh, when that teaching elder is not here, work still needs to be done, and so you, you find an opportunity to begin to grow in harmony and community. So what could be a time for growing divisions can also be a time for building deeper, harmonious community. And obviously, that's what we want to happen, right? Everybody say yes. And of course, one way that can happen, one way you could kind of start with that, I'm a little bit far, but if I weren't quite so far, I'd be here for Turkey next Saturday. <laughs> okay, so this is a beautiful poem. 
And we just want to see what God tells us in this poem about living in unity, living in harmony, living in community in a time of transition. And in verse 1, the first thing that God does is that God, he praises. Now, we don't think of God as praising, right? We think of us as praising God. But here what God's really doing through the poet is God is singing the praises of harmony. Let's read verse 1 again. How This is what God says. How good... And pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. God praises harmony in our relationships with each other. Let's just look at two words. Let's look at the word good. God says that living in harmony with each other in a time of transition is good. Everybody say tov. That's an easy Hebrew word. Quiz at the end of the sermon. Tov. And tov is often translated good, but like all words, uh, it has a bunch of different meanings. Tov can be good as opposed to evil. Tov could be good like in beautiful, like, wow, he's really good looking, uh, good in that sense. Um, tov has a number of meanings. In, in the early chapters in Genesis, tov has a, a meaning that it frequently has, and that is uh, good for a particular purpose, suitable. Usable. Remember what Eve said? It says that uh, Eve saw the apple, that it was good. Can anybody fill in the blank? It was good for food. It was good for eating. See, good for, now probably wasn't very good for driving a nail or for hitting a baseball. Not good for that purpose, but for its intended purpose, that fruit was good. Good for food. And that's the sense of good here in our text. God says that living together in harmony is good for its intended purpose. Now, I pretend that I'm a golfer. Uh, I'm probably not, uh, but I I pretend I am. Uh, My son and daughter-in-law bought bought me golf clubs a couple of years ago, and so when they buy you golf clubs, what do you do? You play golf. And I must admit, it is a lot of fun. I will also admit that I'm really, really happy if I break 100. So I'm not changing jobs and joining the PGA anytime soon. Um, but uh, a, a, a driver, a good driver, that's one that makes the ball go two things. Any golfers out there? Straight and far. Well, Adele bought me lessons for golf, uh, so I went to the. I, I, I went to one lesson. And so I showed him my clubs, and I had some new clubs there. And he said, so you think that new technology is going to make up for a bad swing, do you? <laughs> well, but, but I, I do know enough that, that there's, there are changes in technology, and a good driver sure can help. Um, you know that I'm a, a, my father was a cabinet maker. I grew up in his cabinet shop, and I do wood turning now. And, and uh, I have a, a new set of lathe knives. And they're good knives. Now, they're not traditional knives if there are any woodworkers out there. They're called easy woodworking tools. And this is one place where there is no false advertisement. There is virtually like no learning curve to learn how to turn. Now, I do know how to turn with traditional knives, but these are so, what's the E word? These are so easy. I mean, it's just relaxing. It's fun. They're good. Now, I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't want to drive a nail with them. They're not good for that, but that's not their purpose. Good means good, useful for the intended 
purpose. Harmony says God is good. It's useful for a bunch of different purposes, but certainly one purpose that harmony is good for, and that's supporting each other. And whether there's a senior pastor here or not, in the life of a congregation, there's always need for mutual support, for friendship. At times there's need for uh, financial support. There's need for emotional support. Uh, There's need for people to bring food to a family that has a new baby. There's all sorts of needs for supporting one another. And again, without a senior pastor here who does some of that support work, uh, it's easy for you then to have the environment where you can grow in learning how to support each other. And God says that's good. So begin to look for more ways than perhaps you're used to looking for. Ways that you can support each other financially, emotionally, relationally. Support. It's one of the purposes. Hard to support each other where there's disharmony, right? Easy to support each other when there's harmony. One of God's purposes, one of the reasons why God praises harmony is because it's good. It's, uh, it's, it creates an environment where you can provide each other the kinds of support that you need. It, you at times need support, and there are times for you to give support. It's a mutual, symbiotic kind of relationship that God wants you to develop. So God praises harmony as good, and he also praises it as pleasant. Everybody say Naim. Does that sound like somebody's name in the Bible? Not Nathan. Naim. Naomi. Naomi's name means pleasant. And it's not the exact same. uh, In Hebrew, her word, her name is Naomi. And here it's Naim. But you can hear the connection, right? Naim means pleasant, like in Naomi's life. And at the beginning, Naomi's life was very pleasant. But then she fell on hard times and she said, no longer call me Naomi, but call me Mara, because the Lord has dealt bitterly uh, with me. Opposite of that kind of negative, bitter experience is the Naomi experience. It's the Naim experience. It's pleasant. And uh, one of the other reasons why God wants you to develop harmonious relationships in a time of transition is because it's way better than the alternative. It, it may, do, you, do you have those kind of relationships maybe at work or in your neighborhood where you just don't want to see that person because it's flat out just not, it's just not pleasant How much different it is when you anticipate seeing people, when you anticipate spending time with them, because you know it's just going to be a, it's just going to be a pleasant time. And that's one of the reasons why God wants you to live in harmony, because it's not only good, but it's pleasant. Uh, Jump over to Psalm 135. It's it's just a, a psalm or two away. Psalm 135. And verse 3, it's another one of these songs of ascent. And notice notice what it says here. It says, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to him, for that is pleasant. Now, my NIV says, sing praise to him, for that is pleasant, as if the pleasant is your song. But that's not really what the Hebrew text says. Do I have an ESV out there? 
Can somebody tell me what the ESV says? Praise the Lord for... Praise the Lord for the Lord is good. Keep going. Sing his name for... It is pleasant. See, this psalm is not saying that the singing is pleasant. It's saying that the Lord's name is pleasant. So notice two things here about the Lord. The Lord is good, and the Lord is pleasant. And so what's God saying are the, uh, are the kind of the characteristics of harmony. Harmony is good. God is good. Harmony is pleasant. God is pleasant. When you are living in harmony with each other, you are looking just like, you're looking just like God. So you see, this psalm is not giving us technical how-tos on how to live in harmony. It's kind of giving us motivation on why we should, what the New Testament says we should do, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why should we do that? Because God praises it. And why does God praise it? Because it's a manifestation of who He is. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit live together in harmony. That's good. That's pleasant. And when you live together in harmony, you're being just like, just like God. So, let's look at the second thing God does. First, God praises harmony, and then God paints some pictures of harmony. Now, he doesn't paint them with brush, with oil, that sort of thing. He paints them with words. But God gives us two word pictures to tell us what harmony is like. And the first thing that he says is that it's like oil. Look at, uh, back to Psalm 133, uh, the beginning of verse 2, living in harmony is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. That seems pretty yucky to me. Uh, especially if we're thinking like Mazzola uh, or Canola or for the Pennsylvanians out there, Quaker State. Remember Arnold Palmer riding around on his tractor advertising Quaker State oil? Um, this is not that. Uh, notice that it is, it's, it's precious oil. And the Hebrew word for precious is actually the word good, tov. This is shemen tov. This is good oil. So it's connecting, you see. Uh, living in harmony is tov. It's like shemen tov. It's like good oil. Uh, but we don't really want to think of oil. That's, uh, that, that's a kind of an accurate translation. The word is the same thing as used for olive oil. But we really want to think of something more like fine perfume, fine cologne. Uh, jump back to Exodus chapter 30, starting in verse 22. Exodus 30, starting in verse 22. Because what's being spoken of here was a very special blend. It was the blend that was used to anoint Aaron, chief priest, and other holy, sacred people and things. We won't read the whole of this, but just a couple of things. Then the Lord said to Moses, take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, 
half as much, that is 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant calamus, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel and a hin, not a hint, but a hin of olive oil. Make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be the sacred anointing oil. And then it goes on to say all the different people and things that you're going to use. Now, God had a recipe, and he he specified exactly how this oil, this fragrant aroma would be created. Now, if you um, drop down to verse 31, say to the Israelites, this is to be my sacred anointing oil for the generations to come. Do not pour it on anyone else's body and do not make any other oil using the same formula. Uh, Patents and copyrights are not new. God patented this oil. Uh, And notice it says, it is a sacred oil, and you are to consider it sacred. Whoever makes perfume like it and puts it on anyone other than a priest must be cut off from all their people. That was a pretty stiff sanction for breaking the patent license. This 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 was a unique, and as we've talked before, it was not really unique, it was not truly unique, it was just flat out unique. It was a unique oil. If you smelled it once, you would never forget that smell. Now, we probably all have different smells like that for different kinds of reasons. As I've started to um, work again and turn the garage into a shop, sometimes the kids will walk through, and if I've just been cutting some wood, they'll walk through and that's, they'll say, this smells just like Pappy's shop. Uh, because they knew what it was like to go visit Pappy and to smell uh, the, the, the woods and the sawdust. And to them, that's a very powerful uh, smell that brings back a lot of really positive uh, uh, emotions. That's the kind of thing that is going on here when God says it's like that precious anointing oil. It just brings all these wonderful, good, and pleasant memories uh, back into our minds. Uh, Do you remember back in the day when you could go to a mall and there was this little store that was called Tinderbox? And it was a pipe tobacco store. I, I don't know if they still exist or not. Maybe they do, but you don't see them in many malls anymore. But I can remember walking by a Tinderbox and saying, Wow, that is just a wonderful aroma. Or think about walking past a, in a mall past a coffee shop. You know, there is no one coffee that smells as good as the coffee shop does. And there's no one pipe tobacco that smells as good as that blend of all of those different pipe tobaccos. Just these marvelous, that's, what, that's the kind of uh, feeling. That, that God wants you to have in your mind as you think about living together in harmony. It's like uh, Chanel number no. 5. Sorry, that, that's, that's what my mother wore. It's the only perfume I know. I do still see it advertised now. It's still in existence after all of these years. Just, just that perfume that brings all of these wonderful, wonderful memories to mind. That's, that's how good 
That's how pleasant it is when you live together in harmony. That's, that's the experience God has. When he experiences you living in harmony, he says, wow, that's, that reminds me of that beautiful anointing oil. But that's also what you experience when you live together in harmony. It's like oil. But then the text also goes on to say it's like dew. Back to our uh, psalm, Psalm 133. Notice it says, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Now, this is an odd image for us. Um, we have a lot of dew in central Florida, right? How many of you park your car outside and not inside? Almost every morning when you go to drive somewhere, you've got to turn on the windshield wipers because your windshield is covered with dew. Uh, and so dew for us is like a nuisance. Uh, golfers out there, you get an early tea time, and you, you get how it affects the green. You, you can see, can't you, the ball rolling across the green and leaving a trail behind it because the green is just cut. Dew is a nuisance to us. It's an odd image. But to the ancient Israelite, it was a very beautiful image. In ancient Israel, they have two seasons, rainy and dry. But unlike the rainy and dry season in central Florida, we kind of have that, right? Rains in the summer, drier in the winter. But in, in Israel, no. From May to October, no rain period, completely dry. But, but there's a, about 250 nights out of the year in ancient Israel, there's dew. And there are actually some areas that are marginal as to whether or not there's enough rain for agriculture. But the amount of dew that they have can make the difference. And so dew for ancient Israelites is, is not a nuisance. Dew was something that was very, very positive in their minds. It was an image of refreshment to them. But notice, this isn't just any dew. This is the dew of Mount Hermon. Now, the poet is presuming something here, isn't he? What's the poet presuming when he says it's like the dew of Mount Hermon. We know something about Mount Hermon, right? Well, one thing that he presumes we know is that Mount Hermon is north of Jerusalem, which is referred to here as Zion. He also presumes that we're going to know that. He also presumes that we're going to know that the further north you go, the more precipitation you have. Further north, more precipitation. And the further north you go, the more dew you have. And so when he refers to the dew of Mount Hermon, he's talking about copious dew. He's talking about a superabundance of dew. Uh, what would be an analogy? Um, it would be kind of. It would be like a, an analogy. It would be something like saying it is as if the thunder rains in Orlando are falling on Las Vegas. See, we would get that, right? That a lot of rain where there typically is not so much rain. A lot of dew where there's typically not as much dew. So this super abundance of dew, uh, dew that brings life. Uh, remember the story of um, Elijah on Mount Carmel when they had that contest? The contest was not really about who can send fire from the sky. 
Nobody in the ancient land of Canaan, Israelites or Canaanites, nobody really cared who could send fire. What they really did care about was who could send rain. Because unlike Egypt and unlike uh, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, all of whom farmed irrigation off of rivers, no rivers in Israel for irrigation. The only place the farmer got water was directly from the rain. So that story is not about who can send fire. It's all about who can send rain. Because the God of the Canaanites, Baal, said he could do it. And the Lord God of Israel said, no, I'm the one that does it. The whole story starts with Elijah coming on the scene and saying this. There will neither be dew nor rain until I say so. That's how the story starts. And here's how the story ends. The story ends by uh, Elijah and his servants seeing a small cloud about the size of a man's fist coming off of the Mediterranean and then a tremendous down, uh, downpour coming, proving that the Lord, the Lord sending fire from heaven was just proof that he's the one that could send the rain. That's what the story's all about. But what I'm interested in is Elijah's first comment. He doesn't simply begin by saying, there shall be no rain until I say so. He starts by saying, there shall be neither dew nor rain. And the reason why he says there will be neither dew nor rain was because dew was so very important to them. Living in a land that got about 12 inches of rain a year in a good year, dew was a source of life. And so a beautiful image. God says that when you live together in harmony, it's not only really, really pleasant like this wonderful anointing oil, but it's a, it's a source of refreshment. It's kind of like uh, a traveler along the way who's very thirsty and somebody gives that person a cup of water. Refreshment along the way, a super abundance of refreshment. That's what it is like. Now let me just say one other thing before going to the very last uh, and shorter point. Notice one thing that holds these two images in common. In, you don't see it so much in translation. Remember the Italian expression that a translator is a traitor. Because often when you translate, something's like added or something's like lost in translation. And I don't know in any of our translations this comes through. But there's one verb, and it's the verb yoreg, and it means come down. And that one verb is used three times. And it ties these two images together. Uh, I'm going to translate it kind of woodenly. Living in harmony is like precious oil on the head coming down. Yo raid, coming down on the beard. Coming down, yo raid, on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. And by the way, that word collar, the, the, the Hebrew word is really mouth coming down on the mouth of his robe. And mouth can mean a number of things, but mouth can mean end or extremity, and it actually probably doesn't refer to his collar. It probably refers to the hem of his robe. See, it comes down on his head, and it goes all the way to the hem. This guy is like totally covered in this beautiful oil, head to toe. Uh, that's the point, but I'm interested in the oil comes, it, it yorades, it comes down, it comes down. And then in verse 3, it is as if the dew of Hermon, my translation says we're falling, yorade, the dew coming down. 
The oil comes down on the head. It comes down on the hem. The dew, it comes down. This, see, when, when we're taught to write in English, our teachers teach us to vary our vocabulary. They all said, vary your vocabulary or your writing will be, what's the B word? Your writing will be boring. Hebrew teachers said, repeat your vocabulary. If you don't repeat your vocabulary, how will anybody ever get the main point? Uh, and so Hebrew often repeats vocabulary. Our translations want to speak good English, so they vary the vocabulary. And so the translator's a traitor. The only solution to this is what? Learn Hebrew. And remember, I teach online a new class starting in January. You can do it from Vero Beach. Okay, so, but this beautiful repetition, yo-raid, yo-raid, yo-raid. This harmony is like oil that comes down. It's like dew that comes down. What's the point? Well, the point is that you have to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's your responsibility to live in harmony with each other. Let's flip that coin over. It's God's sovereign gift to you. It comes down from heaven. It's his, now, which is it? Is it God's gift or is it your responsibility? It's both. We're not going to go either or. You've got to make every effort, but as you make every effort, you do so in full confidence that God is the one who is more than willing to send it down. Sometimes I listen to gospel music on the way, and there's this one gospel song that I listen uh, coming down, and it talks about, send it on down, Lord, send it on down. We can't do nothing till you send it on down. Talking about the coming down of the Holy Spirit. Of course, the Holy Spirit's coming down. That's really what's going on with this image of oil, isn't it? Because why on earth did they pour oil on the priest's head? Or on the prophet's head? Or on the king's head? It it was a symbol. And the pouring of the oil on prophet, priest, and king was a symbol of the Lord sending it on down. Because you can't do the work of the priest. You can't do the work of the prophet. You can't do the work of the king unless the Lord sends down the Holy Spirit to empower you for that. And that's why you have this repetition. So yes, it is your responsibility. And you're dependent on the grace of God. So you've got to say, send it on down, Lord. Send it on down. Can't live in harmony till you send it on down. So you make every effort in dependence upon the grace of God. One final thing, last half of verse 3. First, God praises harmony, and then he paints a couple of pictures of harmony. And then, just like God, he promises blessing on harmony. He promises to bless you as you live together in harmony. Notice it says, for there... The Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Now there, he's just mentioned Mount Zion, which is Jerusalem. So in a sense, there refers to Mount Zion, Jerusalem. But the psalm is really talking about living together in harmony. And that's ultimately the there. Where does the Lord send blessing? There, where people are living together in harmony. 
Do you want God to bless you as you move forward as a congregation? Here's one thing you can do to secure that blessing. Live in harmony with each other. The Bible just says there God just loves to send down his blessing. He loves to send down his blessing where people are living in harmony. Now, what is this blessing? If, if we've talked about blessing before at some point or another in sermons, but if I were to give you one word as an English equivalent for what it means when God blesses people, that word is empower. When God blesses people, he empowers them. When God blessed the human race in the beginning, God blessed them and said he was empowering them to produce. We're now at about 7 billion. I'd say God's word is pretty powerful. It's an empowering word. And what does God do where there are people living together in harmony? He sends down the blessing. What is that blessing? Empowerment. Empowerment for what? We don't have to wonder. The text says, there the Lord sends down the blessing, life. Empowering you to experience life in all of its fullness. Jesus got this psalm. How do I know that? Because in John 10.10, when Jesus was describing why he decided to come down, he said, the reason why I have come down was so that you might have life, but not just any kind of life, life in all of its abundance. You see, he, he understood what this psalm was teaching, that God is going to send... See. We sang about dis, or we prayed about disharmony in the world. We don't have to watch the news very long to see how much disharmony there is among people. Do you ever see what human beings do to each other and scratch your head and say, "How can we do that to each other?" But well, we've done it throughout history. That's why Jesus came down. See, Jesus came down so that as a result of His coming down. People can live in harmony, and as a result of people living in harmony, God can send down the blessing, and the blessing of life, life forevermore. As, as you anticipate the fullness and perfection of this abundant life in the life to come, know that you can experience more and more of it in this life, which is why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That you pray that that, that harmony of heaven will come down into your lives as a congregation more and more. And that as it comes down into your lives as a congregation more and more, you can be a channel of that harmony into your congregation, and as Glenn prayed, into Central Florida and into the state, and ultimately your reach can go throughout the whole world. Now again, this text does not give you techniques. Its intention is not to give you techniques. Its intention is to give you motivation. Because if you're really motivated to live in harmony with each other, it'll happen. You'll find ways to make it happen as you rely upon the sovereignty of God. So what this text does for you is it motivates you by giving you God's perspective on what it looks like for you to live in harmony. 
and God praises it as good and as pleasant. He paints these beautiful pictures. It's like oil. It's like dew coming down, coming down, coming down. And then God in his goodness says, now let me give you one final motivation. As you develop these harmonious relationships as a congregation, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send something else down. I'm going to send more empowerment for abundant living into the life of your congregation. Well, may God grant us grace to just drink in this psalm and to take on God's perspective and out of that then find ways uh, to make sure that we are doing everything that we can to live in harmony with each other, even as we rely upon the grace of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this beautiful word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we pray that you would uh, write your perspective of harmony on our hearts, that it might motivate us, in particular in this time of transition. We pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's respond by singing number 457, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.